Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing. This is the podcast about the business and craft of writing jokes. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. This is our third episode, and we have the great Amanda Meadows and Jeffrey Golden from The Devastator, which is the only all-comedy book publisher in America. Basically, if you want to do anything with literary comedy, these are the people to talk to. And there's a lot of great advice in there, so I'm excited for people to listen to our conversation. So, here it is. So, where are you guys from? Uh, I'm from around here. I grew up in Orange County, California, and then moved to L.A. (laughs) It's very easy. I'm from Buffalo, New York, originally. Okay. I went to school in Boston, and then I came here after a school. I've been here for about uh, over a decade. Oh, wow. Uh, and by when you say school in Boston, you don't mean the school in Boston. No, I don't you mean, mean the, like the just good, a school I mean, in Boston. I don't mean the good school in Boston. <laughs> I mean a school in Boston. So no one listening is like, oh, another Harvard asshole who like, writes who comedy. Who won't say that he went to Harvard. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I went to a little a little college in Boston that you probably have never heard of. Uh, when did you guys first get into comedy? Uh, let's see. Well, I wrote a little bit of comedy on the internet while I was in college. Um, I, like, did dumb stuff. Uh, wrote bad essays. Uh, you know, wrote jokes for the school newspaper. Uh, did a little bit of stuff for, like, College Humor and McSweeney's in my early 20s and then uh okay. and then wrote for comedy.com and now defunct comedy website that had like a lot a lot of comedians now like who are like cool now like that was how they started like they started at comedy.com freelancing I mean, on the internet what a, what a great domain they had the it was yeah that was 99 percent of it was <laughs> yeah. that they had that domain comedy.com it's where you go for comedy.com. <laughs> Imagine you're on the internet. And you're you're this is the pre-Google era. And you're like, how am I gonna find comedy? Well, I know that websites exist. They so typically end in dot com. Were they were America they doing just online uh, portal? Were they just doing like prose or like videos or everything? Yeah, it was oh, okay. a lot of Most short articles. articles. It was a number of smaller websites were part of the the thing. So they would have they had like, you know, sexycomedy.com and they had like gadgetcomedy.com. <laughs> right. And uh, I wrote yeah. for the sex channel because yeah, it was like did. the one, they were like, we need to put a woman on this part of the website. There isn't it's one. Too cre- Otherwise, it's too creepy. Oh, boy. Uh- <laughs> that was a weird thing, I guess, like kind of in the mid 2000s where like sex and comedy were like intertwined a lot on the internet. Like it was um, college humor. Like started out with just like a bunch of uh, sexy pictures of girls. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It was just a lot of body nonsense yeah. back then. They should they should launch like college humor classic and <laughs> oh, like boy. just create like a web like like recreate the website from its original days. They just as, put like, together a, all the hot links. All the hot links, and then like none of the hot links work anymore. Right? Yeah, that'd be cool. Remember this. So what were what were like the McSweeney's piece you wrote? Um, I actually helped edit a anthology book that had come out via their their like regular book publishing arm. It was like a uh, an anthology of thrilling tales. It was like kind of like uh, stories that were written in the style of like old pulp novels and stuff. Oh wow, yeah. that's really interesting. 
Yeah, I used to work for a publishing company in LA called Phoenix Books, and uh, it was like a normal publishing company. And uh, that was like, that was, I think that was like the first job I had after like comedy.com sort of ended. Um, but uh, yeah, I was their publicity director and I, and I got to work in editorial too for some, some interesting books. Like I worked on uh, a couple of Carl Reiner's reissued uh, like anniversary special classics. And then um, a, a book that put together a bunch of the best stories from the Dirty Laundry show that they do at Comedy Central stage. It's been it's a great show that's been going on for like a decade. Um, yeah. Oh, is that the storytelling show? Yeah, yeah, it's the story. Uh, <laughs> uh, sit and spin. I I heard about that from of all places, The Bachelorette. I think it was on The Bachelorette. Oh my god! Yeah. Was The yeah. Bachelor? Did they like go to a sit and spin show on yeah. on the show? And they made the guys tell stories great and they were they were very bad at it I'm yeah yeah not... man i would be so pissed off if i went to sit and spin and all i saw were bachelor contestants i'd be so mad yeah, i'd be very frustrated oh, they're be very so boring and have no perspective on their perfect lives <laughs> so when did you get uh, first get into comedy i first got into comedy when well i was <laughs> I when I was the kid in a grade school who like wanted to be a professional cartoonist, mm-hmm. I had no art abilities, but I like submitted a packet to United Feature Syndicate. The, oh, how old I were you? Heard, oh, 10. Yeah, oh, so <laughs> Nine cute. <or> 10. <laughs> they wrote back uh saying that I should take art classes. <laughs> they were very <laughs> they were very but I was just excited like, "Oh my god, like I can't believe the people who put out Garfield wrote me back." Um, and the, the first time I did comedy professionally was in high school. Um, there was a website called mp3.com talking about uh, websites with domain names <laughs> that are really obvious what they were trying to promote. Um, and it was a website around the Napster era that was trying to legitimize like mp3s, like indie artists. It's like we've, you know, download indie artist music and they'll get paid and, you know... Uh, and I was a number one uh, comedy artist on mp3.com for a while doing like Weird Al style parody songs. Oh, basically. cool. Yeah. And um, from there, I, I've worked at National Lampoon, Cracked. I've written for uh, Crave Online, BuzzFeed, uh, and uh, yeah, all kinds of places before we started The Devastator. I currently, I'm, I'm writing... Uh, if you go to comic book stores, I write Disney princess comics um, for Joe Books, which is a lot of fun. I'm writing for Jasmine, Ariel, Belle, Sebastian, <laughs> Belle and Sebastian, all your, all your favorite uh, Disney characters. I also do the Sesame Street comics as well. I write for those too. So that's a lot of fun. These are quality comics. They're good comics. Yeah, I they're think really they're good. good. Yeah, they're good. And the publisher's really cool, Joe Books. They do a lot of really cool uh, licensed uh, work and... Yeah, worth checking out. If you got, especially if you got, you got a little kid, right? Let's say you got like a, you're a you, young parent. You know, you're a young. Let's say you're a young parent out there. You're looking. You want you to to your kids. They like the Disney princesses. They want to read more about them. That's where I come in. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you don't help. want them to watch the movies over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. Oh, hey, how about read this comic book for a second? Read a book. Give me some goddamn quiet. Yeah, uh, I can't stand. The, the, the Elsa, <laughs> I don't want to hear any more of these Stan Frozen songs. Uh, going back to your MP3.com days, what, what were some of your uh, Weird Al style songs? Sure. 
So I did one. Uh, my best known song was uh, uh, a parody of Eminem's My Name Is. And it was called uh, My Name Is Will Shatner. And the, <laughs> the premise of the song is that Will Shatner is annoyed that he doesn't get credit for hip hop, given that he too once talked over songs song over oh, right, uh, over right. melodies but was made fun of for it and he's now uh, upset about that <laughs> these were great great uh satires hey, one they, of them they were popular they were popular one of them uh one of them was a parody of in sync's bye 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 called fries 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 and the premise was that that mcdonald's was uh like the engine behind in sync it's a little, a little a satire of commercialism and popular music but at uh, i was interviewed on new zealand radio and uh and they told me that apparently in new zealand a number of people were very con- they would play it on their radio station like over and over again they thought that, that the stuff was great and uh that there were people who were like going to mcdonald's like looking for like in sync happy meals because they thought it was just they thought it was. So they thought my comedy goofs were truth. They thought it was just that's what was happening. Yay! They didn't realize. <laughs> they didn't realize the irony. Oh, that's wonderful. I didn't know about the the Happy Meal thing. Oh yeah, that's really great. Yeah, people thought uh, they thought it was real. Some did. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so when did you guys first move to uh, to LA, and what was the reason behind that? Uh, I moved out after uh after i went to, to to school at emerson college and it was always my plan to move to la but i came out specifically because i was accepted into a digital media uh like f- fellowship group like it was like an exploratory it was a fremont Fremantle media um they were like doing an exploration on like cell phone videos keep in mind this was 2005. 2005. So cell phone videos meaning like flip, like flip phone. Right, right. Just started. Like this was like just <laughs> the very beginning. And uh, I got the gig uh, while I was in Boston, and they were like, "Fly out to LA, and your first one is going to be this." And I flew out, and I literally landed. I all my stuff was in transit uh, on a on a truck, and I landed, and I got a message on my phone saying that the the group was dismantled, and that there was no job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was my rude awakening to what life in LA was going to be like. Oh my I was God, like, I'm yeah. going to come out with a job. I'm going to be super cool. I got a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> like, LA, here I come. And then, uh, oh, no. Uh, but, but yeah, unemployed for a while. Right. Bumming yeah. around. Yeah, I was like freelancing. Jeffrey and I had met like in fall of 2008. And then like I, I went out of the country for a few months and then when I came back, I was freelancing and still living in Orange County and like trying to plan my escape from Orange County. And then uh, I got the job at Phoenix Books. And then I, that's when I moved to L.A. So it was like uh, early, early fall of 2009, like late, I guess, late summer of 2009. Um, my first part was in K-Town and had to <laughs> uh, to go uh, to Beverly Hills every day. It was such a stark contrast uh, from, <laughs> from like late aughts Koreatown to Beverly Hills. Um, I lived my first uh, my first apartment was in North Hollywood, 
right. uh, which was uh, horrible. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> What's the word for it? Uh, disgusting. It was disgusting. <laughs> I remember. Uh, so my uh, apartment was at the very end of a one way street of like a dead end street. And it was all the way at the very end. And all of our neighbors had giant, very loud dogs. And I would be like walking home from like a Ralph's or whatever, just getting some food and just every dog like barking at me. Like I was going, like I was in a prison for dogs and it was going like down right. like the prison aisle and everybody. The cell row. The cell row. <laughs> uh, but, with do- but with dogs. Like something out of that Jim Henson show, like Dog City, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I was commuting to... Um, to what is it? To not Culver City, but the other one. Marina Del Rey or something? No, no, South no. South Bay? Uh, what's it? No, it's, it's West, but not, eh, who knows? Anyway, it was a nice area. I had experienced the same thing. Yeah. When I was commuting, I lived in a shitty neighborhood and had, to do, a long com- worse. And yeah. had to do a long commute to uh, to a shitty place. With the Hammer Gallery. Where's the Hammer Gallery? Oh, that's Westwood. Westwood. Yeah, yeah. Oh, commuting Westwood. to okay. Westwood. Yeah, commuting to Westwood. Oh, yeah. Ugh. To Westworld. Oh, you were going, going to Westworld. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. With the robots. Yeah. You were imagine you're at Westworld. Yeah. Uh, there's a good parody video. Oh, there you go. Westwood is Westworld. <laughs> what if? Ice cream sandwich shop was run by robots. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did you guys first meet? Oh, we met at a Halloween party. It was uh-huh. like mutual comedy adjacent friends. Uh, there used to be a legendary Halloween party thrown by uh, members of the comedy troupe Troop, T-R-O-O-P. Um, so, uh, and, uh, th- yeah, they would hold it every year, and it was these huge, like, amazing, elaborate Halloween parties. And, uh, yeah, we just both happened to be going one year. It was the Ghostbusters year. Yeah. And uh, they had Ecto-1 on the front lawn. Oh, wow. They had a Slimer on the roof. Yeah, and a Stay Puff. Stay Puff, Ecto-Cooler oh drinks. Like, it was just, n- it was like... Perfect. Wow. It was like if you were going, if you were in a movie. It was like the movie Halloween party. Right. Exactly yeah, like so that. Good. There was a live band. Like, you know, yeah. exactly like what you want a party to be like. Right. And it was all, all the people who came were like comedy or otherwise entertainment related nerds, like capital N nerds who came out in crazy fun costumes or just like ironic costumes too. <laughs> there was like a whole spectrum of funny costumes to enjoy. And yeah, that year I wasn't even in a costume. No. I almost didn't even go to the party. I kind of got dragged. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we, we met. You were the Swedish chef. I was dressed as the Swedish <laughs> chef. Um, I'm a huge Muppets fan. So that was a good, that was, that was a good one for me. I had, I glued, I figured out I could glue giant eyebrows to a chef's hat right and then just move the chef's hat like over my current eyebrows so that uh it was a good hack yeah it was a hack one of these classic <laughs> halloween you hacks to deal with like spirit gum on your face right that was what i didn't like i didn't like doing the, a lot of spirit gum on my face. <laughs> but i had to do it for the mustache anyway so yeah so like we were dating for a year before we started the devastator it's true yeah so what was the impetus to start to actually start the Devastator. We had both uh, done a lot of comedy at this point. At that point, for the web, for the inner, for the internet, um, as it were. And what we noticed is that it all goes away. Like if yeah. there's like an embarrassing photo of you, like that stays on the internet forever. 
but like a piece of like an article that you write or something that's like popular for a minute like goes away like, like the next like you even slightly proud of it yeah it disappears the website closes and there's no record of it you know and the the, even the Wayback Machine is like, yeah, you can't, I can't go back that far. <laughs> um, so uh, so we were, you know, thinking about that in our careers. And we were just remembering that, you know, both of us had extensive collections of humor books. Yeah. And many of them, which we had had for since, since high school or middle school. Yeah. And it's like, oh, these humor books are like with us forever. Like, we love these books and they're like cherished memories. Like, wouldn't it be nice to make things that like people would want to keep? Right. That like people would want to remember. Yeah, the idea that anyone could be nostalgic for like a tangible piece of comedy material um, the way we were was really like enticing to us. And yeah, like we just had so many friends who make great stuff and it made a lot of sense to like come together and build a barn. And, you know, and, and it ended up being an anthology. Um, Kickstarter had just been created that year. Right. And uh, I was just like pretty plugged into like publishing stuff because I was still at another publishing company. And um, I emailed Jeffrey about Kickstarter. Like, this is a thing. Like, what if your idea for a zine? Yeah, I did the... the um... I was working on like an army man style, uh, you know, like a George Myers uh, army man. The um, he's the the uh, main like guy who, who who was credited as being the voice of the Simpsons, and he had a zine uh, in the eighties where a lot of the Simpsons writers were pretty much came, everyone came from. from the classic years of the Simpsons. Schwarzwelder, uh, like I think Algina Mike Rice, uh, yeah, just uh, all the classic folks. They all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm twice as great as George Mark. <laughs> Maybe three times. And so uh, so I was working on like a zine, like a comedy zine kind of a thing that was just going to be like a like a regular publication that was coming out. It was still out. like kind of in the early, like you had written a couple of pieces, but we still, you still had to like go out to friends. And, and that was when I was like, oh, we could, what if we like put this up, fundraise to make it, nicer looking right. full color and a spine so it would feel more like something you would keep instead of something that might get lost in a pile someday and um yeah and, we, and the rest is her story basically <laughs> yeah it's her story it's her very story. progressive of you <laughs> thank you um yeah and then uh, i think we like came up with a name for the devastator at a sushi restaurant yes you had, like met me after work and we <laughs> We got sushi. We came up with a bunch of names, but I was insist. I wanted it to be something that was very like powerful sounding. Like, ironically, it could be like the uh, name of a pro wrestler or something. And I think the De- the Devastator was the one that, mm. that stuck. Yeah, like ironically imposing and and scary. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, whenever people find it, they repeat the name. So that's that's a good sign. It's like, a good name. Like it's crazy that anyone would call this the Devastator. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny that you talk about like um, uh, that you like your art, like things you would write on the internet would get lost. Because I remember uh, I used to read a lot of Grantland, the Bill Simmons site. Yeah, and uh, they did a like a quarterly through McSweeney's of like everything they wrote. And I remember thinking that was so strange because you can just get it for free. And then Bill Simmons like said, I think on his podcast, like. Uh, if the internet like went away tomorrow, everything I'd done in the past twenty five years would be gone. Right. 
Isn't that, right. isn't that horrible? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's true. Everything he's, he's is right. sitting on yeah. a bunch of server farms off, you know, like like on a barge. You know, <laughs> there's some kind of crazy natural disaster that destroys all these servers and we don't have any of the things we created anymore. Um, yeah, so books are kind of good. It'll it'll be really useful in the upcoming apocalypse. Um, right, right. About a few months into our next presidency. And uh, the only way we'll be able to laugh is through books. I also think that it's a space for comedy that isn't as explored as yeah, readily definitely. as a lot definitely. of others. There's not as much experimentation happening there. Mm-hmm. And that's our thing. We, you, you know, we... We want to experiment. We want to push the boundaries of what we can do in this medium. And and that's important to us. You know, the idea of, uh, you know, not not doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. I mean, I think there's a we have a sort of a contrarian spirit in that way. You yeah, know? I think everybody in comedy has some kind of contrarian yeah. <laughs> spirit uh, for different things. For us, it's like, well, there's already so many outlets who do certain types of comedy really well. Like, we're never going to do funny fake news. Right. You know, that's just not going to happen. There's a lot of yeah. funny but, fake news. Sites. Exactly. Or like, now the fake or news advice. isn't you even know, funny certain... anymore. <laughs> yeah. used to you only know. be funny new fake news yeah. now now you could get real fake news right uh, startling yeah. <laughs> um, although i was bummed i was not to sidebar too much but i was kind of bummed remember there there was that list of like these are fake news sites that was like going around like watch out for these mm-hmm. fake news sites yeah and like Clickhole was on it, and I was oh. like, "Like guys, like Clickhole is a satire." Yeah, well, like they revised the one of the main lists that was doing that is done by like a professor at a university, and they right. made it clear that like, hey, like this is a list of comedy news sites. Right, you should be aware that these are jokes. Right, but the thing is, like, so many, like, there were so many earnest. So- well, listen, Idiots sharing the abortion plex article on the onion and it's like oh my god i would rather if people can't tell a joke i would rather that then that they just block the onion you know <laughs> like i'd rather them just all not get it at all can just block the onion from right. their browser right that yeah. would, i would rather that than have them like spread misinformation based on a comedy article right. but that said from a, as a comedian, as somebody who admires their work, it's it's like you know, fuck. Like, right? <laughs> can we really not tell the difference between newsguzzlers.biz, who is who is like you know, uh, that's our go-to name right. at our at, at Devastator HQ. Yeah. Whenever we refer to a fake news site, we call it newsguzzlers.biz. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so in its original form, the the Devastator was was comics, right? So it was a a comedy anthology series. So it was a mix of comics and written humor. So you'd have comics from folks, from indie cartoonists, folks like James Kachalka, Jeffrey Brown, Bob Sikoriak. And then you'd have uh, comedians, uh, you know, folks from The Daily Show, The Onion, Adult Swim, uh, contributing articles. And then we would, uh, every anthology book had a different theme. So we would do... A fantasy, or we would do space epic, and uh, and yeah, and then we would send out a prompt to all these people that we knew, these comedians and cartoonists, and being like, 
what pitches do you have? Right. What ideas do you have? The for upcoming the book, book is arcade. We're going to talk about classic video games. What right. are your ideas? So like instead of people submitting fully formed things, they would pitch us this like a two sentence kernel of an idea. And if we like that kernel of the idea, we would work with them from the very beginning to the finished piece. So we were working as editors with our hands in every single piece that would come into the anthology. Um, and we you know, laid it out with the aid of a couple of really amazing layout artists who helped us out. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel like that was different from some of the other anthologies that we knew other folks putting together where it was like, just submit this thing fully formed for this theme. And if we like it, it's in. Right. Um, we were editing from the beginning and we'd give people notes on their comedy writing or oh, on wow. the comics. And um, they would revise their draft based on those notes and right. stuff. Um, and we learned how to be better editors through that. The first couple of people, I think the first couple of books, you know, you learn, oh, well, you can't like, you know, you have to learn where the line is of like how much you can give suggestions to change someone else's writing and right. stuff like that. And you just kind of learn over time. Like we were in our... I was in my early 20s, you were yeah. in your mid 20s and we like kind of learned how to how to edit short pieces and then became really good at editing long pieces and It's true. Yeah. Did you know they say practice makes perfect? It's weird. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys knew that, but <laughs> But that's something that like I if You're I feel listening like... to this show. It's useful. <laughs> it tells for you. It's something that like a lot of comedy folks don't have experience doing and I'm really fortunate right. for is learning how to be a creative of my own work, but then also knowing and like learning how to manage other creatives. So because we have both skill sets, we're really, we're, we're more poised to like make multiple pieces of comedy in print in a year because we know how to work with people who think like us. <laughs> I think the, the tr one, one thing that we've learned over the years is how to identify uh, talent who will write in the devastator voice, right. who will understand like the kind of satire sort of that style. we do, our house style, and then uh, editing their work, not so that it's you know sounds uniform or that it is you know or or that it sounds like us or whatever, but try to make it so that the the jokes and the voice of their work shine through the best yeah. that they can you know every uh every writer benefits from a good editor who understands why something is good right and and knows how to make that thing better as opposed Help to you carve out the, the the you know the stuff that's unnecessary so that you get the statue you right know? Car yeah there's a number of things carving the stuff that's unnecessary you know there's punch up too is yeah. another is another thing um understanding you know right understanding the structure of a piece right. you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things but um like as a writer myself like i you know i've worked with great editors who like completely get what you know Same. i'm trying to do you know and say like oh okay they you know maybe you want to try this you know or what about you know this may not be working the way that you intended it or if you draw this it's not going to look you know, I I know you're thinking this will work, but if we draw it, it will probably look too small or whatever. Right. Can I giving, get an alternate? Giving the know? kind of constructive criticism in a leading way that leads them to the realization to make the thing more right. like better in their voice right. instead of telling them what to do, right. um, which is something that no comedian likes right. ever. <laughs> um, yeah, no so, writer does really. So as editors, if you're uh, reading something, 
And let's say there's a joke that you personally don't like, but you think it actually works. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with that? Do you just leave it or do you try to change it or, or what? I think uh, this is why it's useful to have... Uh, we've always had like a room with the Devastator. Right. So in the days of the anthology, we had a staff of uh, six other uh, comedians who would also be reading... You know, we'd be reading the stuff out loud. They now, helped us pick the pitches and stuff. Yeah. Now with... Uh, uh, now we're a publishing company. We're reading, you know, manuscripts and such... Um, but it's the same principle. We have a group of people in a room who are punching up and working with each other. And sometimes, you know, you you just you defer. I defer to the room. So I just hear what the you know, if I usually I can. I, I, it's very rare that something like what you've described happens on principle. I would probably want to leave it in because if I if I think that it's it benefits the piece. Right. Um but very typically, I will just I will like listen to how it plays in the room and exactly. see like oh is this what is you know does this work let's see yeah so much of 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 uh, that question is like learning how to define and identify why you may not like a joke if, you know so like if it's literally just I don't like this particular specific because that's not my taste. Um, then you leave it to the room. But if there's a reason for it, if there's a logic reason, um, then we would suggest an alternate or give a reason why, you know, that this particular joke didn't make sense in this context. So, you know, here's here's this reason. Tell us what you think. Feel free to come up with an alternative. And, you know, we just kind of go from there. But yeah, the room is really what makes the devastator work um having a group of people that come together once a month or every other month and make each other's work better so on the on the books now do you do you still have that room or is it just kind of you two or yes we do have a room so the authors uh for the current year's slate all get together uh every two months or so to read each other's work and punch up and read each other's manuscripts. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a fun writer's group almost. It's exactly, yeah, yeah, it's exactly what it is, like a writer's group. Um, and uh, yeah, it's inval- it's invaluable. Um, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, everyone feels like partners and um, and everyone becomes friends. Um, I mean, and it's, and, it's uh, and, and we get good snacks. Too yeah, we've got hot too. snacks, <laughs> real good snacks. Um, yeah, like everyone really helps each other out. Um, and like as the main, as like we have drafts, like each, each meeting, we like know which things we're going to be looking at and everyone takes a turn. Like everyone gets notes from the group for their thing. So they're expected to give notes on the next person's thing. So everyone feels like they're getting something out of it. I'll give you an example, uh, with my, with, uh, my book that I released this year, Dream It, Screw It which is a collection of rejected Disney attraction ideas. Um, I had a very long list of potential ideas. I had, this has been a, a project that has been uh, festering in my brain for many years. So I had a <laughs> lot of ideas. And uh, going into that room with, you know, all these, these seasoned comedy vets and like pitching those ideas and like, Hearing which ones worked made it very easy, made it much easier to write the book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, okay, these are the 20 or so that uh, that really popped out of this list of 50, you know. Right, getting that laugh on the first, like, I, just the germ of the idea. Like, okay, great, I'm on the right track. I can I can flesh this out now. Um, for, for my book, oh, bless you. Bless um, you. 
uh, from my book that I wrote with uh, Robin Higgins, We Don't Think You're Racist, uh, Soothing Affirmations from People of Color. <laughs> uh, she and I just wrote like a ton of jokes in a spreadsheet and categorized them by, you know, gender and ethnicity and stuff. And um, we just like really went to town. We still have this massive spreadsheet of jokes. <laughs> and it was hard to know how they were going to land on someone. And so having the room to uh for for robin and i to read jokes aloud with and see like how did this land with you like did this did this feel incisive um and because our staff is pretty diverse um we get like a really great sampling of perspectives um which is really helpful so uh yeah like we it, w it was so much easier to know what jokes would make the final cut of the book because of the room mm -hmm. Um, in, in the anthology days, uh, were the comic comics were they uh, humorous or just kind of uh, interesting or like a... they were very dramatic? Okay, and most of them yeah. were about suicide or oh, wow. uh, okay. yeah, that's <laughs> not true. Oh. Oh. oh, guys, it's a goof. It's a big comedy goof. anthology. Yeah. all Gif funny. Everything satirical. You had me going. Comedy, geeky, yeah. satirical, funny. That whole scene. Yeah. So, it, what would you say makes a good uh, comedy comic book? Yeah, um, it's Ooh, good question. Uh, I think timing is 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 actually pretty key. Like understanding pacing in, but in panel form. Right. So um, you know, you'll you'll there are certain tricks that people use um, time and again, empty panels or or things to like ensure that like a joke will land. Um, that's one thing. Uh, understanding like the principles of art, like what makes art, what makes good art. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, you know, in, in stand up, if you're, uh, you know, there's certain posture things that you, you need to keep in mind your physicality when you're on stage, how you're taking the microphone or if, are you pacing back and forth? Like what should you be doing? You know, what, what, what should you be doing when you talk? Um, so too, like for a cartoonist, it's like, um, Am I right? Am I am I drawing something that is within my wheelhouse of things I can draw? You know, uh, for you know somebody like with Matt Groening's talent, you know, is going to draw a very different comic than somebody with Jim Rugg's talent. Right. You know, like you know, in one example, it's like somebody who you know shouldn't be drawing something that requires a lot of sophisticated rendering in order for right. the joke to get across, you know? It's just like, here's two weird-looking bunnies, like, you know, <laughs> talking to each other back and forth. Right. Whereas, like, somebody like, uh, you know, someone like Tony Millionaire, you know, he, you know, his thing is that he draws these, like, lush, beautiful, you know, you know, things. So, so for him, like... It's about like state the staging becomes more important. Yeah. And and you know, creating these, you know, he he has no problem creating the lush environment of a of a of a panel. It's just more like, you know, making sure that the that the setups work and so Yeah, exactly. And I think if, if for a writer who's writing for comics who has no art ability, I think that's where it gets tricky. Um, I think a lot of folks who've written scripts before sort of assume that writing a comic is just like writing a script, like writing a sketch script, and it really isn't. Um, mm -mm. While the formatting is basically the same, um, 
there's a lot to consider uh, in the art direction. Um, you know, you have to kind of keep in mind who you're writing for and have some basic understanding of how, how comics are drawn. Um, and that's like kind of the first uh, thing that uh, someone who wants to write humor comics should do is, you know, uh, learn a little bit online about how humor comics are drawn. Uh, there are actually a bunch of classes here in LA that our friend Jim Higgins teaches. We both took that class in 2009. It's it helped true. us immensely. Um, but uh, yeah, like learning how to uh, to write in a way that's uh, in panel form and static, not like cinematic. And then that's something that we've encountered with early Devastator mm. comic scripts that were written by comedy writers, not comics writers, was that they would write something that was almost like that would be funnier if it was acted out right. or, or animated, uh, not in a panel. Right. Like a, like in one panel. You generally can't like have somebody doing multiple actions, right? I mean, you can, but it's like the joke, you know, be like the flat, like a well, reading like the Flash or something, where they're like, okay, Flash right. is over here, now he's over here, now he's over here. But like, if your intention is just that this is like a character of normal speed who's like doing multiple things, you have to like break that, break that shit up, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, we've definitely had that issue before, where like it's very clear that the person you know is like writing for you know, film or television, thinking about it in terms of film and television and right. not in terms of like the pacing of, you know, of panels. Which right. Is and it helps different. to just read a ton of like simple humor comics. The more like kids humor comics you read, I feel like the better off you are. Like we both grew oh, up reading tons of comic strips and yeah. those are just so simple. Like those people have worked so hard to distill their comedy into like simple panel gags that it looks it looks like uh, it looks easy, but it's not. It takes a long time to get there. But seeing that really helps you, I think, as but, opposed to like super intense superhero comics. A good comic strip is like a haiku. It's like <laughs> it's like very zen. You know, they're like very zen, and they may have like a lot of words or a few words, but the rhythm is very simple. The comic rhythm makes a lot of sense when right. you break it down. There's just it's it's very they're very simple. Um, you know, when you have more pages, like you can, you can do longer stories and gags within gags right. and stuff like that, background things. But for just those simple, like what we did in the Devastator, like often one page or, or, or two, two pages. pages. Yeah. Having, understanding the rhythm of, uh, of the story or the rhythm of the, the beats is very important. Totally. So what prompted the change from, uh, the anthologies to the books? Uh, well, uh, it was pretty funny. So with the anthology series, what we were doing um, was <laughs> we were like kind of running out of money sometimes for certain books. And we were like, how do we still get to our like 60, 64 page length ideal um, without having to like hemorrhage money? Because we paid all of our contributors for their work. Um and all that money came from the previous book's sales. So, you know, you can imagine the cash flow treadmill that you're on with an anthology series like this. And uh, we were just like, what if we did like a long, like a longer comedy piece that was couched as a fake novel? So we would take the back cover of the anthology and when you flipped it over, it was a cover for a completely different book. Oh. And then uh, you'd get like maybe 10 pages of a goof. Um, mm -hmm. 
And we did it for the first time with the second book, uh, the sci-fi book. And uh, it was a parody of those like really uh, hoary now uh, and now just kind of sad to look at those like literary mashups like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Oh, right. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, ours was Mrs. Dalloway and the Reptilian Humanoids <laughs> uh, and uh, written by a very funny writer, uh, Daniel Dominguez. And uh, we we uh, got that story put in there. And um, as we went on with the series with each book, the backup reverse cover gag thing got more sophisticated um, and kind of crazier. We kept like heightening it. And so um, I think like one of the craziest ones we did was for our Toys and Games book, we uh, made an entire board game that came out of the book. Uh, oh, wow. It was Clue uh, for for shitty roommates. Uh, Clue Mates, <laughs> the passive aggressive detective game. Um, and uh, it was uh, Jeffrey wrote it. And it was drawn by Yehudi Mercado, who does amazing comics for like Disney and Boom and stuff. And uh, that was like a big hit. And uh, I'd say like the even biggest hit was Oh, the Flesh You Will Eat from our Apocalypse book. And by that point, I'd say like by maybe the eighth book or so, uh, which was the one I wrote, it was a mashup of Babysitter's Club, uh, Boxcar Kids, and... uh, what was the other one? I forgot. Oh, it was, oh Sweet Valley High. Sweet Valley High. Um, and it was a crazy mashup story that also uh, attracted eyes. We were realizing people at conventions liked the reverse cover more than the front cover because <laughs> it was an idea they can immediately understand. Right. Whereas yeah. like, if you're looking at the front cover, you know, it's a funny illustration, but then there's a bunch of information. You have to understand that what you're looking at is a book that contains lots of little things in it. Right. Uh, and that's you very know, hard our... for, for people to wrap their head around. Exactly. If, you, if you aren't familiar with, you know, with like National Lampoon from the, the 70s right. or, you know, your comedy, your print comedy history, then you, you might be confused looking yeah, at the like, reference what is, is lost on you. Right. Exactly. But the reverse books were very very simple they got a lot of attention yeah so we were like okay well obviously um it's fun to make these and they get more attention uh eventually we're going to have to kind of transition and make standalone books because we know that those are making a lot of uh they're making a lot of waves and we enjoy making them so uh so yeah like in 2013 we like started doing that uh the first standalone book that we did uh was uh jeffrey's frankenstein's girlfriend yes it was a novel that kind of parodied uh teenage romance books like twilight uh okay it's like the awkward real life version of twilight where this girl's first boyfriend is a dude who's just in a really weird cosplay subculture called mashing uh it's like furries but for for the classic yeah Yeah. classic monsters (laughs) Um, it's so funny. And so that was like the first one. That was great. It was a number one teen humor book on Amazon when it came out. And then, uh, then Gross Lumps, which was a group written book. It had nine short stories by nine comedians, uh, including us. And, uh, yeah, they're all just like adult versions of Goosebumps stories (laughs) written in the style, making fun of all the same tropes, uh, but definitely written from the perspective of like an adult who read these stupid books as kids. Um, yeah, and from there, it just kind of got crazier. We, like, started making year plans, and uh, we started out making, like, four books a year, then six, and now we're at 12 titles a year, wow. uh, a yeah. mixture of zines and books. Every month is a new thing. Exactly. Uh, did you write the, the gro- Gross Lumps thing together? 
We wrote it yeah. to yeah. It was uh, the two of we we each wrote a story in it, and then there was I think five other yeah. authors uh, contributed. The staff at the time uh, they all pitched ideas for stories, and then we we uh, as a group picked our favorites and yeah. and uh, and you know claimed ideas for stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote one that was about a band not uh, dissimilar to the band Kiss uh, that turned all of their uh, child fans into zombies, uh, not zombies, demons. That's yes. uh, super weird. <laughs> it's a really weird story. Mine is uh, is called uh, All Girls Are Insect Monsters <laughs> about a boy who discovers that all girls are insect monsters right. to, his, uh, to his terror. <laughs> Oh man, uh, yeah. There's also like my my parents' divorce lawyers are aliens. Yeah, uh, there's one. uh, what about a tiki coconut bra that uh, enlarges this teenager's chest until it's impossible <laughs> to live? Uh, yeah, it's it's a really crazy book, um, and that kind of started us on our way of like, okay, we can do this. So twelve uh, books or zines a year. Yeah. yeah. Where do you get the submissions from? Um, well, we have, it's, it's kind of a, a holdover of our old model. We sort of have this hybrid model uh, that we concocted in-house where um, we have a list of people who are vouched for and we know are funny um, and can write in the style that is compatible with what we do with like fictional, weird, geeky, satirical humor. Um, and uh, we have a window every year. So from the beginning of the window, we send out a big blast uh, via email to everyone on that list saying, hey, we're open for submissions. We have a specific pr- proposal form so that you don't have to learn how to write a traditional publishing proposal, which is actually uh, like a, in publishing, it's like a 20 to 50 page document right, that right. goes over every facet of the book. Um, no comedian's going to know how to do that. Right. So uh, so we made our own proposal form that kind of covers what's the idea? How are you going to execute it? Give us a tiny sample now who's the audience for this book and how are you going to promote this book um and in in very like plain terms and we even have a guide that explains to people how to fill out the form and how to do it right (laughs) um yeah and uh yeah at the end of the the window we put all the proposals together we pick uh we get rid of any that are just obviously impossible to make and then we bring it to the current authors at our next meeting and uh we we go through them and pick pick some faves and we go from there and the rest is herstory <laughs> that's your new catchphrase i think so I'm getting into getting into it <laughs> so uh when you see a pitch what are you looking for Ooh, good question well there's a couple things one is uh is this book right for the devastator because uh there are lots of diff there are different types of humor books um but some of them are types that we don't generally publish for example uh, a collection of original short stories or essays or essays we don't we don't do that um you know there's there's a number of them that there's a advice number of formats books. advice yeah. book advice book parodies it's just a number of formats that we don't we don't look at the other thing another thing is is, is it compatible with the devastator's voice and what we do is it does it is it feel like specific you know there's a lot of like humor books out there. In fact, most humor books, uh, I would say, sort of general humor. So it's you know, my cat peed on this based on the Tumblr, the hit Tumblr. Cat pee on cat, things. My cat peed on this. It's a book of things that a cat peed on. You know, 
And it's like clear that the audience is just, it's like anybody. Anybody. <laughs> it's literally, they wrote like, anybody will like this. Right. You know? and, Put it on a table. Someone will be like, oh, your aunt loves cats. Right. Exactly. Right. We don't do that um, because we're not smart financially. Um, <laughs> we want to make things we, hard for ourselves. We do, we do. Well, we're, we're looking to promote original voices. Um, people who whose like sensibility is like in line with ours, but have their own take, unique their perspective. own unique, but they have their own unique perspective. Um, and uh, you know, when you read our stuff, like you get a really good idea about like what a devastator book looks and feels like. Yeah. Typically, our projects are a little on the ambitious side. Um, so we like it when somebody is like willing to like is like take a creative challenge take, and figure out like oh how am I going to how am I going to make fun of a very specific type of book like for example Dream It Screw It makes fun of those art of books right in its layout even is parodying like even just like the way the page numbers work it's like making fun of something very specific so right. um, we're we like to get granular with yes. with how things are going to work. Um, you know, it's not just, this is a funny idea for a book. If it ever, if a pitch ever feels like this is just a funny idea, I have no personal connection to this idea. It's just something I came up with. Good night spoon. Right. It's like, it's about, well, it makes, it's, it's about a spoon. Yeah. Like, like we, you know, good night moon. Yeah. Like we recently it's added. It's about spoons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's about spoons. Everybody now. likes spoons. We all use a spoon. Right. So we can How all relate to this. We can all relate to this humor. <laughs> And you're probably familiar with the book Good Night Moon. Yeah, like we even added a question to our proposal going forward that's like, why is why is this book or zine important to you? Right. Because um, it's just like comedy, the best, most memorable comedy for us it usually ends up being no one else could have said this this way other than this person. Right. And that's when it really like holds up. Because of their real life perspective in the case of something like uh, We Don't Think You're Racist, right. which is based on, on uh, Amanda. Very real and, lived and, experiences. Right, or yeah. co-authors lived experiences. Or just something like uh, The Daddy Complex, you know, which is a parody of airport thrillers written by uh like Brian a Sandoval, diehard fan of thriller novels who is like right a diehard fan of thriller novels so so he can so, so in both instances you can bring that level of specificity to the humor yeah. and so when somebody reading it who is also likes these things is reading it they're like oh this feels like it was by somebody like me you know this doesn't feel they like understand what they're doing here yeah yeah, yeah totally so let's uh, let's talk about the specific books you brought. Yeah, let's cool. do uh, it. Thank you for bringing these too. By the way, it's great. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Uh, let's do your books last. So let's do. Cool. Let's talk about the Daddy Complex some more. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is our newest book. It just came out last month. It's uh yeah as we say it's a parody of airport thrillers like uh like the the like the Lee Child books or the yeah Jack Reacher books Jack Reacher or books the... John Grisham but you know the kind that you would see on a spinning rack and a the ones that your hearts and news the ones you that know. give your dad his political opinions right <laughs> Luke Luke Pattersby is such a good uh, yeah, name. It's, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah it's Ryan's a pen yeah. name on this yeah it's uh it's the adventures of Theo Sultan he's a, a renegade loose cannon maverick type. Uh, whose uh, own dad went missing, uh, whose dad went missing years ago, and he finds himself in a dad-related mystery. Uh, <laughs> Takes him around the globe. globe. There's robots, there's seahorse creatures, 
There's Fatherland, uh, the Fatherland amusement park. Yeah, there's a whole <laughs> Rio... dad-themed amusement park. And the dad parade in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's all about uh, issues between uh, fathers and, and sons uh, through this. Uh, and the action is, is really well done. Oh, it's so well-paced. It's like, it's, it's really perfect. Like he totally, this is someone who understands how books like this write their action and suspense and is capable of subverting that and or stretching it or like bending it in really fun ways it's just it's such a like page it's an actual page turner usually parodies of like specific types of novels end up dragging right this has so many jokes per page but you're you're also like interested in what's going to happen next too <laughs> the um one of my favorite scenes uh, Theo Sultan forces like a henchman to eat a gun piece by piece, like takes the part of the gun and like forces the gun, and then like punches his stomach to like reassemble, reassemble the, the gun in his, his body, and then like forces him to give him information or else his he'll uh, punch it into right. He'll punch it so hard that it goes off and will destroy it. That kind of thing. That's great. Yeah, yeah, he he's so precise with his punches. Oh my god, it's such a funny uh, sequence. Ryan is a is a writer. He's a he's written and created shows for Amazon and Netflix and a number of uh, TV projects. But this was a real passion project for him. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so good. So is this the the longest book you've published? It is. I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah, two hundred. Yeah, two hundred pages. A lot of our books are are relatively short, but yeah. they are. But you but some of them have full color with a lot of illustrations or photos. Or in some cases, we do prose books. Um, yeah, we don't like to pad things out. We want things to be as long as they will still be funny. Right. Um, you know, so so things end up being somewhere between 60 and 150 pages on average. And this is the longest one. It just, it, it just kind of, with each rewrite, Ryan kept finding really amazing new things to add. And it all, it just made the book better every time and... It's so funny. I, I don't know yeah. how we managed to do a 200-page book that's funny on every page. <laughs> so how long did it take to go from concept to uh, published? For that one? Yeah. About a year, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Maybe a year and a half From when or it was so. pitched. Is and that then... average or? the That's a little longer than average. Yeah. Typically, our books take about half a year to produce. Um and uh, they would, with a larger staff, we could probably produce them much faster. Right, yeah. But we're, um, we're the editors for everything. And so everything goes through us. So there's only so much we can do at one time. But we've gotten really good so far in the past couple of years of like trying to get on pace so that we uh, our books come out or are finished early enough before the release date that we can you know get them to our distributor for example so that they can get to bookstores in time for the mm. release date that'd be good fun book stuff mm -hmm. uh so let's talk about killing it by uh, joan ford oh my god this uh this is a book that like Joan was meant to write. She's <laughs> the biggest nerd. She knows everything about all movies. She's the person that we text when we can't think of like, who was the actor in this particular scene of Gremlins 2? Right. She will know. Um, the camera operator from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the Gremlins TV studio. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, uh, yes, it's uh, killing it. It's a guide to being a strong female character in an action movie written by men. So it teaches women how to be strong and powerful, but not too strong or powerful. Right. They still need to be like chill 
and hang back <laughs> at the right time so that the dudes get all the glory. It's really important to them, so just kind of let it happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's done in the in sort of a handbook style. So there's right. a lot of uh, silhouette uh, images, you know, yeah, and uh, a lot of gra- infographics and things. There's quizzes too. I love the quizzes. Oh yeah, should you spit in the bad guy's face? Is my favorite quiz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's so many jokes crammed into it. There's a whole world that the main character who's writing the handbook lives in and as you read it you're also getting this sub game of like bug force and like mm-hmm. all this agency that she works for and like <laughs> the the tech guy at her agency that there might be a relationship and there's just so much going on and it's uh, you discover lots of new Sorry. jokes when you read it um so it, it's yeah. it's a very feminist book it's really badass and uh, yeah joan is a writer for a nerdist and uh, yeah. as a regular at the UCB theater in LA. Yeah. And uh yeah, just it's a, it's an incredible book is uh and uh yeah, this was good time good times. It's great. It's a really great it's a really great and pointed satire of Hollywood yeah. uh, through the through a feminist lens. Really really awesome. Uh all the feelings. Yes. I uh I relate to that. Do, do you yeah. have all the feelings? No, I just like the monologues. I read, I read about the on the website the imagined monologues. Were you a the, were you a theater geek growing uh, up? Well, kid? I've d- I've done some theater before, and you always have the the weirdest, dumbest uh, monologues to like go through. Right? <laughs> yeah, because they buy these books from like Amazon, and there's just all of these like I don't know these self published people like I don't know drama teachers in the valley who put together these really bad books of monologues. And um, yeah, they're they're so cliched. So uh, Mike Levine, uh, who writes for The Onion, um, he he put together uh, these these uh, really funny monologues for teens uh, that are categorized by feeling. Right. So you you know if you're feeling uh, bummed, there's a monologue for for that. If you're feeling uh, you know shaved there's a monologue for being shaved you know and uh yeah it's it's all there's also acting tips for teens and so things. many acting tips a lot of you know uh feelings you know feelings out attention in yeah that's the core, philosophy, the core philosophy of the book, of the book. attention in feelings right. out um and uh yeah there's it, it there's a lot of like really funny specifics about the types of like are the archetypes of these teens like the jock or like the sensitive girl who's learning to express herself sexually through dance or like <laughs> uh, a kid who like has a, a drug addiction or like the street urchin type who's like right. telling you about how he's learned to be tough on the streets right. um and he like subverts all of these weird cliches and stereotypes uh and it, it just it gets funnier every with each monologue and they're designed to be read aloud. So like we've heard a lot of folks saying like they, t- you know, have a dinner party and read a lot of our books aloud. And that's a favorite. Yeah. For oh, that. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike. Uh, yeah. Mike's a writer for The Onion and uh, and was a theater geek uh, growing up. So they're very close to, to his heart. His Absolutely. Project. He's yeah. a sensitive boy. <laughs> So the uh, leg drop digest that that's an example of a zine that you guys put out. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. So uh, talking about ambitious. So uh, so this was our, our parody of uh, of eighties nineties wrestling magazines, and we're Amanda and I are, are wrestling fans. Yes. as are the uh, creators of the zine, uh, Joe Starr and Asterios Coconuts, and uh, we we actually went through the step of 
renting out a wrestling gym, the Santino Brothers gym, and uh, working with the re- with real wrestlers and having them wrestle comedians playing wrestlers <laughs> for the so photo, for the photos. Yeah, oh my god. One uh, including there's actually a, a celebrity wrestler in the book, uh, Brian Kendrick, who was cruiserweight recently, champion. Yeah, was recently the cruiserweight champion on the WWE. Oh. Uh, he's there's a there's a number of uh, photos of him as a cha- as the champion of that particular universe yeah, the hipster uh, champion of that universe <laughs> it was great um yeah joe star is uh one of the main guys at screen junkies he's really 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 funny and asterios kokonos is a devastator uh fave he's been with us since the beginning he uh has written for like cracked and nervous and something awful and uh he's he's got uh, a a lot of really funny stuff on the internet um definitely just google asterios kokonos you'll find so many things that he made, like the Admiral Akbar's ads. Yeah, well, hey, just yeah. Google Admiral Akbar's ads, <laughs> and you'll. Be I won't sad. say anything else. I'll also say that uh, Asirius did a great book for us recently. We didn't have, we don't have it here, but he did. A yeah, great we're book running for us. out of it because it's selling out. Right. Yeah, because we keep having to ship them to people. Uh, called Toys for Cheap. And it's a parody of uh, toy catalogs from uh, the 80s and 90s. Oh, wow. And it's terrific. <laughs> it features the toys like uh, the lack of self-care bears, the real ghost murderers, uh, Stretch the Truth Armstrong, the doll who lies on his resume. <laughs> it's very, it's very funny, this sort of weird... Uh, perverse toy yeah, attainable careers that... barbies like weed doctor barbie uh it's so full of jokes um and I, I i like every time we read it like we discover like oh yeah remember that joke yeah <laughs> uh it's it's really great jimmy hasi who's like the senior graphics uh designer for the onion did all the art for that it's a fully illustrated book um it's it's not it's just nonsense it's crazy <laughs> pure nonsense yeah all right, so let's get to your books now. Uh, we don't think you're racist. That's a good book. That's our best-selling book. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a uh, it's a book for white people who are concerned they might be racist. So, uh, so you open up the book and you see smiling faces of people of color on one right. side, and then on the other side is a reassuring <laughs> phrase. It's meant to soothe the reader, yeah. such as. Uh, uh, such as uh, uh, you can touch my hair, you can touch it all day long. <laughs> yeah, or um, you know, uh, my Indian name is impressed by your smart questions. Right. Um, there, yeah, and all the folks in the photos are comedians here in LA. And mm-hmm. there's a section near the back of the book that tells you where to find all of their work on the internet too. So in addition to having this book that proves that you're cool and woke and would never do a lot of microaggressions on people of color, you know, um, you can also diversify your comedy intake and start watching and listening to people who are not white. That'd be cool, right? Not white. Yeah. Whoa, I don't know just if like I a, could do that. Just like I hate dip that. In, yeah. Just dip into the pie chart a little bit, like 5% non-white would be I'm great. I'm a 100% Bill. <laughs> Engvall guy. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. My whole comedy universe. <laughs> uh, Maybe a little Jeff Dunham. A little, just a sprinkling of Dunham. The puppets are, some of the, one of those puppets is purple. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> puppets of color. These, uh, these books are beautifully designed. I mean, I, I saw it online, but like seeing it in person, it's like, wow. Hat tip to, uh, to our designer, uh, Mike Reddy. Who, he uh, made a bunch of the books, of books that came out this year, including the one you're holding there. 
Um, he's a genius. Yeah, guy's a genius. He's a, a former uh, a layout designer for for teen magazines, and then and, uh, and uh, Random House. He made a lot of books for Random House. Um, and it's just and he's just a great illustrator. He's worked for. Uh, he does does stuff for the American Bystander. Yeah, and, for the New uh, Yorker, the New Yorker, and the Atlantic. And, yeah, so he yeah he, incredibly talented uh, guy. We're very fortunate to be working with him. And uh, is it Dream It Screw It or Screw It Dream It? Oh, you had it right the first time. Dream It Screw, screw it. it. See, I thought it was Screw <laughs> It Dream It. No, no, no. The but that fr- makes that makes more sense. The the phrase <laughs> it's it, a parodying it. is uh, is Dream It Do It. Or uh, if oh, you can dream, if you can dream yeah. it, then you, you can, can do it. Right. Uh, yes, also, the can. title of uh, Marty Sklar, another Imagineer, uh, that was his book. Dream it, yeah, dream it, do it. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, my book uh, chronicles the life of a lesser known Imagineer, Dip Disney, <laughs> who was a Walt's drunk, dumb cousin. He came up with seven thousand ideas while working at Disney World, uh, and none of them were used. Uh, over the course of a 30-year period. And it's very clear when you see the ideas why. Um, and uh, it tells his life story uh, from, well, his like, quote-unquote life story from when he was 60s, in his 60s to when he was uh, in his 90s, um, <laughs> when his, his career at Disney. Um, and uh, it such, features such rides as the Haunted Mansons, uh, the Hindenburg <laughs> Sky Resort, <laughs> Uh, Judge Doom's tune execution room, um, <laughs> and it, and the idea is to try to uh, describe these rides from an Imagineering perspective, so you get a sense of what the the building looks like, how the line queue would work before there any pre show, before the ride, the ride, some of the rooms and the ride itself, how it exit, you know, to so really like give the reader like the imagined experience of of going on a ride that's very very stupid <laughs> um, and uh and i worked with uh, a number of great uh, indie cartoonists to uh to bring the the, the ideas to life the, the sketches and we, oh had, we, did, we staged photographs as well um to sort of histo- fake historical photographs yeah talk about like another one of the books that we were talking about earlier where there's a real creative challenge that we're trying to like achieve the look of like one of these documentaries almost where you've got these found photos of of someone who's like from 50 years ago who was 60 at the time and we had a 30 year old actor shout out to zach ames uh funny dude um who we made up to look 60 and then 90 (laughs) um and then like yeah the illustrations um shingen kor reed saltis alan trinidad and mark palm who are all just excellent illustrators, uh, some who've won awards, and you get to juxtapose these gorgeous, lush uh, concept designs and illustrations with these crazy jokes yeah. and like the silliest <laughs> and weirdest ideas. And it, it's uh, it's like a real treat. Like you really feel like you're transported when you're flipping through it. Were you a big Disney fan? Is that why? I'm a huge Disney yeah. fan. Oh, I yeah. have been my whole life. I really did. I, I say in the intro of the book, I really... Uh, did want to be an Imagineer? That was a job that mm-hmm. I that that I thought to have, but I I don't uh, I'm no good at math or science, <laughs> and it turns out that those are like very crucial qualities for an engineering Imagine. position. Yeah, um, it's like the NASA for creatives. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but uh, so you know, this was my way of of sort of fulfilling that a lifelong dream of <laughs> also, like being an Imagineer. And Disney's in your family too. That's very true. Well, so I, so yeah, I do write Disney comics, and 
Uh, my mom was a fairy godmother for many years at uh, in Florida at Disney oh, World. Wow. Yeah. She looks and sounds exactly like the fairy godmother. <laughs> so well it's cast. just so it's so well cast. It's perfect. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna wrap up with you guys critiquing some jokes I wrote. Okay, That's how awesome. We... So for this, since you guys do um, uh, like prose stuff, comedy writing, uh, I'm gonna do potential internet pieces. Okay, okay. Great. great. So I have three pitches. And any outlets specifically, or just these are just uh, like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna send this to. I them. wrote like McSweeney's or okay. like College Humor or like Split Side. So anything. Split okay, yeah. got gotcha. it, got it, got it. All right, one of these I thought of today in the shower because cool. I had to, I wanted to do three, so I had right. two ready to go, and I was like. So there's two one. dry ones and one wet one. Yeah, this guy. Oh, and it's actually really <laughs> nice. wet, actually. It's funny. Ooh, all right. Ooh, hella wet. Okay, so I'll, I'll do the first one. It's uh, an email chain trying to schedule a most dangerous game type thing. Great. Okay, I get that. <laughs> yeah. I get okay. that. Uh, so thumbs up? Yeah, I give a thumbs, thumbs up on thumbs that. Up. Okay. You need a good you need to be able to uh, you need a, a good title. Yeah, right, you need right. That with definitely. the internet pieces, it's all about that that uh, clickable title, that clickable uh-huh. title on that. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's that will be your challenge. But as a premise, I I like it. Yeah. So okay. everybody is is like they're they're having trouble scheduling. Right. Everybody's on yeah on different that. Right. Maybe that's the most dangerous game. Oh. <laughs> trying to schedule getting all of the, these the most these game. bloodthirsty billionaires <laughs> to come to this <laughs> island at the same time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, is it in poor taste to call my next stand-up special "Black's Life Matters" by Lewis Black? Ooh, I don't know if it's if it's that it's necessarily in poor taste. I just no, I don't think it's offensive. I'm just not. I no, don't I think don't, it I, rolls off the tongue. Oh, I was saying that's the title. That like it's like it's by Lewis Black, thinking that. Oh, I it's bl- right. Black's, Black's like Bla- yeah. So he's he's debating whether or not to do that piece. Yeah, I'm. You know, I, and you know I, what? I, and also, there's a there's an overlap there because Michael Che's new Netflix special is just called Michael Che Matters. Right. Oh, there's a. I think I think you're gonna have trouble cutting Finding through a the new... th- cutting through the clutter of, of right. Black yeah. Lives Matter puns. Yeah, I'm not sure that there are any more left. And I'm not sure that that it's well, going to win you win you a lot of uh love on the <laughs> love fair. on the internet. I get that too. I, I was thinking more cuz like it's making fun of how that's like a hacky joke or like a bad joke cuz like he like standard specials are like puns and stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. So he's like he's like that's his inner monologue basically. So what's the piece? You need some cushion around it's it fair. to, to cont- yeah. you need some context so that that intent comes through. Otherwise it'll just sometimes when people try to make ironically bad things, right. it just comes off as bad if there isn't enough around it to like give you that context of, oh, this person's going through a dry spell or they can't figure out what I to do. I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this one, that one, maybe not as much. I like the first right. one best yeah, the first so far. One is better. So okay. far, that's the one I like best. <laughs> okay, here's Keep the last one. Okay, uh, a horny. See, this this is the wet one. Okay, great. A horny teenagers top ten films of the year, and they'd be like a dumb action movies, movies with a lot of nudity, and then like find like Moonlight or, Min- or Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, so it's like a Buzzfeed kind of list. Sort of, yeah. Because it's like a like a guy who's just like. Is a sort of it's like, like a thirteen-year-old kid's favorite movies, right? Okay, gotcha. So he likes these. He, I think you almost. I almost think you go the other way. Mm-hmm. I think you have it be. It's a horny teens list, and all of his favorite movies are, are like, like art movies, movie. are like okay. sophisticated movies. But he only likes them because of like the, the one, one part where there was the, a boob, right? right the one titsy okay. or the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the angle on that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because otherwise, you're just going to have a lot, like, it's just like a lot of scrolling through, like, through, yeah, of like, course. Right. Obvious. Of course he likes, you know, you don't the horn have a lot dogs, of surprises. You know, of course he likes Horn Dogs 3. He's a horny teenager. But, like, if it was, if he wanted to see Passengers or whatever, because it right. turned out there was, like, a butt in it. Right, know? right. That might, be, that might be cool. I don't know. Something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was great. That was great feedback. Well, oh, you're welcome. Well, we, we do this. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do, <laughs> we do, we do that. <laughs> we do that every day. <laughs> All right. You guys uh, want to have anything to plug? What's like the next Devastator books coming out? Ooh. Uh, let's see. Well, the most recent stuff a lot of uh, we covered today, like my book is We Don't Think You're Racist. And uh, our most recent book is The Daddy Complex, the thriller novel parody by Ryan, Ryan Sandoval. Um, all of our books are available on Amazon. You get that hot Amazon Prime shipping. You've got time. It'll come in two days, way before Christmas. I say get on that. Now, that is, of course, if you are an Amazon <laughs> shopper, bless right. you. The uh, If you're an Amazon shopper, and many, many are, right. but there's also folks who like to go to their local bookshop, their local indie bookstore. Props to you guys. Props to you guys. And uh, and you should be able to find uh, any Devastator book at your local yeah. indie. And if they Anywhere don't have it, sold. They'll, order, they'll order it. Yeah. They'll Tell get them, it for hey. you. Make mine Devastator Press. <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> and uh, and you can also get all of our stuff direct uh, from DevastatorPress.com. That's where yeah. you find all of our books and all of our latest stuff. We have a uh, we have a thing called Skull and Books. Uh, you go to DevastatorPress.com slash Skull, and it's like a secret society where uh, we'll get, get you our, uh, mail you our newest book every month. Yeah, you get everything we make from the moment you've signed up until the moment you cancel. Every month there's a new thing. Plus random surprises in the mail. Uh, Plus you get an arc. There's an internet archive with all of our eBooks with all yeah. our past eBooks. You can catch up on you all. You get a past unique login to this cool portal, and you get to. We also have a podcast. Once a month, you get uh, a little Skull and Books audio cast where we talk about what the new book is, and most of the time we have the author of that new booker zine, and we talk about it and uh, just let you know what's going on. Absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah. so that's a cool thing. And that's a, yeah, that's ten dollars a month. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it, you you totally win. Out. You win. You're the winner. Because <laughs> yeah, like shipping's covered everything, and you get a bunch of goodies too. Are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Amandonium, and uh, the Devastators on Twitter at Get Devastated. That's right. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Golden. That's a G E O F F R E Y Golden. And uh, you can also find me on iTunes. I host a show called uh, Two Packs, a podcast called Two Packs, T-W-O Packs, uh, where we open up weird retro trading cards with comedians. Oh, it's fun. It's, it's so fun. fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We open up, we've opened up ALF cards. We've opened up U.S. <laughs> of ALF cards. Every ALF variant. Every ALF variant, um, <laughs> as well as uh, ET, you know, ET, ET cards. Power uh, Rangers. Power Rangers, SNL. Sailor Moon, SNL cards, all, all sorts SNL of... SNL cards? Yeah. yeah. And that's coming had that's, trading cards. That's coming up on a future episode. Yeah, the we, we're opening up uh, Coneheads cards oh, wow. and then just like straight like SNL cards. It's um, a weird idea. The strange. cast is always changing. So this is like an artifact of a specific season. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. I am just I'm looking forward to getting uh to getting a mango card. Oh my god. Because then I can touch of the mango. Uh, I can have uh, I can yeah. have the mango. You just put that on your desk form. or put it in your wallet. Always remember that you can have the mango and you've always had the mango. In my heart. It's been with you all along. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks Yay, for, having, thanks us. for having us. That's great.
Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I highly recommend going to DevastatorPress.com and checking out all of the books you mentioned. I myself just joined the Skull and Books Club, so I suggest you do the same. This is uh, the third episode of this podcast, so if you haven't heard the ones with Joe Saunders and Devin Field from Comedy Bang Bang and Workaholics, respectively, definitely go back and listen to those. We are going to be every Wednesday from now on, so look for new episodes then. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for providing the awesome logo, and Justin or Bobby for producing this whole dang show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow us on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. Bye.